Am I on time? There we go. I did it right. Well, good morning. I do appreciate the worship team for their inspiration, um, for getting a guy ready to preach. That's a, a, such a special blessing, and I've always appreciated the work that they do, and I'm grateful to them. I also appreciate your prayers and uh, all your well-wishings, which inspire a man to preach, uh, but I especially appreciate the Holy Spirit. Um, let me be the first to wish you a happy new year, even before the ball drops at, uh, at midnight, and to wish you a, a prosperous new year in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I want to say what that means. Uh, I don't just want you to get a raise on your job or have this wonderfully romantic year with your wife or this great year with your children where they never say no. Or uh, I certainly do want all those things for you. Hope you get a raise on your job. Uh, but I mean, I wish for you that, uh, that you would commune with your God this year in uh, meditating and praying on his word, reading the Bible every day. Uh, we men, we are great at saying, how do you expect me to do that? I have four children. I get up at 4 a.m. and I come home at 7 at night and I'm exhausted. All I can really do is eat a meal and, and pass out. Well, uh, I used to hear an old saying that said, you're too busy not to pray. I, I really like to take that to heart right now. If you're that busy, you can't help but uh, meditate on the word of God. And I do wish that kind of a year for you. Be prosperous in the word. I've chosen a text today that's so completely uh, encompassing on the foundation of the Christian faith. Martin Lloyd-Jones calls it what it truly means to be a Christian. And I picked out this text um, and have taken no small amount of ribbing from the fellow pastors a year and a half ago. And they kept waiting for my sermon manuscript and waiting and waiting and waiting. So uh, here it is, and, uh, and I want to preach it to you today. Uh, but because it's so encompassing of the Christian faith, I can't possibly cover all the nooks and crannies. Um, so I want to go to the Lord in prayer because I'll need his Holy Spirit's guidance. So if you'll bow your heads now and I'll pray for us. Glorious, holy, and righteous Father, help us now, help me now, to preach your word with accuracy and excitement, with reverence for the words that are yours, cautions for the words that are mine, as I pray they will be of the Holy Spirit's guidance, with true love and rightful guidance for this congregation of both believers and unbelievers. Till our hearts, Lord, make the soil ripe and ready for deliverance that it may be fertile for a transformation that can only come from you. And may the lost be saved and the believer be encouraged to live out their faith and love for their God and for their fellow man. In the name of the one who brings salvation, the name of Jesus Christ, your son, our Lord, I do pray. Amen. So I've, I've given this morning's message uh, a title of sorts, A Miraculous Birth, A Miraculous Rebirth. Uh, not to sound catchy, but just because it's true. And I hope to be able to prove to you that not only is Jesus' birth on earth a miracle, as Eric has been preaching for the whole last month during the season of Advent, but that also your rebirth or your future rebirth is a miracle as well. And for those of you who don't have the slightest inclination of what I'm talking about, uh, I hope to clarify the meaning of what it means to be saved, what it means to be a Christian I hope to be able to prove to you that your current or future state of salvation is nothing short of a miracle. 
I hope also to be able to accomplish the following things for those of you that like an outline sort of a thing to hold me accountable for here. Uh, I hope to be able to humble the believer, those of you who already are in Christ. When you find out who God is, especially compared to who you are or who we are, you should be humbled. I hope to awaken the longtime churchgoer who may not be saved and is afraid to admit it to themselves or to the church so that they might be saved. And I hope to save the lost in general. Not that I can save the lost. You're going to hear about that today. Uh, but I hope that, that God appeals to your heart this week and that God saves you. Um, they may be hearing God's call and recognize a change, but they haven't heard the true gospel preached yet. It says in God's word that you have to hear the gospel preached in order to be saved. You have to hear it according to the words of Scripture. So for the last several weeks, Pastor Eric has been teaching about Advent or the arrival of Christ. God come to earth as a man. And aside from his death and resurrection, this is the culmination of many of the miracles that had happened thus far on the earth. And I'd like to define what I mean by miracle today for those of you who've never uh, read the Bible or never thought of anything as being a miracle and only as being of science, say, for instance. Uh, I'd like to say that a miracle is an event that occurs that defies the natural boundaries of everything here on earth or acts of nature. Uh, I want to I define that again. A miracle is an event that occurs that defies the natural boundaries or acts of nature here on earth, and therefore could only be supernatural or the works of Almighty God. Uh, there's a lot of believers uh, here today in Christ who know about the miracles that I'm about to speak, but for those of you who haven't heard of the events, um, I want to let you know that we get our historical record of miracles from the Bible alone. And yes, we hear about modern-day miracles uh, uh, on the news, you, there, occasionally you still do hear about a miracle, and, and I believe that they still do occur, but I'm talking about the historical record in the Bible, and so we have Bibles under the seat backs in front of you, and uh, the sermon text today, by the way, is on page 636 in those Bibles, so if you'd like to follow along, um, I'd like to refer you first to the book of Genesis to list a few of the miracles that, that we hear about um, First of all, beginning with the very first verse, and without reading it for you scripture by scripture, uh, it tells about the facts of the creation of the earth, about how God, by the words of his mouth, took a space that was empty, I don't know what that looks like, and filled it with dry land, oceans, sky, mountains, rivers, and marvelous creatures, the crowning glory of which is you, mankind. He created the heavens above, that is, the universe, the stars and the planets, and he actually gave them purpose. Did you know that? I didn't know that until just a few years ago. We can read about another much more frightening miracle that God will perform in the book of Revelations, chapter 6, when at the very end of the days on earth as we know it, God will shake the stars from the heavens and cast them to the ground and cause the very sky to vanish like a scroll that is being rolled up. Then there are miraculous births in Genesis. Isaac, born to Abraham and Sarah, both older than 90 years of age, Sarah having been barren her whole life. And in the book of Luke, of the birth of John the baptizer to Zechariah and Elizabeth, we read about that this season. His father and mother both advanced in age, Elizabeth having been barren her whole life. Both of these births 
were announced by angels sent from God or by God himself. And of course, there's the birth of Jesus, our Lord himself. God come to earth to walk in the flesh, born of a woman who'd had no union with a man. To mankind, though, the greatest of all miracles should be that of God's saving grace. The death, excuse me, through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the action or the work done by God Almighty that brings us to the word grace today in our text. Jesus' death and resurrection brings about by the God, by God the Father's hand, the grace spoken of in our text, and all of the work is done to save us, yes, but ultimately to bring glory to God Almighty. And I want to prove that to you. Uh, we, we oftentimes like to stop and think about um, Jesus' saving grace being all about us. But ultimately, it is to bring glory to God the Father. So here's a couple of texts to, that go along to prove that. In John's account of the gospel, chapter 12, verses 27 and 28, he speaks of Jesus' death and resurrection as being for the glory of God. When he quotes Jesus, in referring why he came to earth, Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then his father answers him as a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. We see it at the very birth of Jesus, a quote we heard just last week in Luke 2.14, where the angels proclaiming Jesus' birth from the heavens above, after announcing the birth, say, and they finish their statement with glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Or, and this is a big one, and it directly pertains to our message today, in Ephesians 1, verses 11 and 12, when Paul writes, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So even before we break down today's text, I wanted you to hear and understand that all things were made for the glory of God and for our good, but for the glory of God first. These miracles and events were done by God for his glory so that we might give him praise, we as creatures. So now we arrive at today's text, and that is, of course, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. And I said, uh, as I said before, it's on 636 if you're using one of the pew Bibles in front of you. And it's also in your Bible in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. So here we go. I'm going to read it and you can follow along with your eyes if you like. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, let's put some flesh on these spiritual words here as much as possible because we're talking about spiritual things here. We're talking about the things of God Almighty. We're talking about miracles here. For by grace you have been saved. Let's stop right there and define grace by God's terms. 
Uh, I looked it up in the dictionary, several dictionaries actually, even one dating back to the 1960s. Um, but I like Martin Lloyd-Jones' version or definition of grace the best. Grace from God is undeserved, unmerited favor. Now, you know what merit is. It's, um, do we have any young kids in Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts? And you, I, I remember earning merit badges as a Boy Scout. Well, you can't earn this grace. I'm going to prove to you later and show you how in Scripture it says you don't deserve this grace because of your nature, because of the way you were made. And favor. God favors you. He just reaches out and gives you this grace. And there are, there are scriptures that tell you why. There are temporal reasons and there are permanent reasons for the glory of God. Again, grace from God, undeserved, unmerited favor. And I'll add, supernaturally imparted by God the Father to those he intended to save as a result of his placing his only begotten son on a cross to be executed for us as the substitutionary recipient of God's wrath that would have been delivered to us on account of our sins. That's a long one, so I'm going to give you that one again. Grace from God, undeserved, unmerited favor, supernaturally given to us by God the Father to those he intended to save as a result of his placing his only begotten son on a cross for us as the substitutionary recipient of God's wrath that would have been delivered to us on account of our sins. That's what grace from God is. Favor that we neither earned nor deserved. Let's go to the word faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith is the tool or the medium through which we receive Christ. By receive, I mean spiritually understand, agree with, and then believe God's holy saving word. Okay? Faith, for by grace you have been saved through faith, the tool or medium through which we receive Christ. And by receive, I mean spiritually understand, agree with, and believe God's holy saving word. The very next statement in our text shows that we do not come by either grace nor the faith on our own. And it says, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. None of us can brag about receiving Christ. We don't have anything to brag about, and we'll see why in a few moments when the Bible describes our nature. We've not one single action we can boast in. You can't be kind enough. You can't be generous enough. You can't be honest enough. You can't be spiritual enough. And when I say spiritual, I want to define the world's version of spiritual or even reading your Bible day after day after day in a way that you are using it as an instruction book. In other words, how you're supposed to act and think in order to make a great impression on your neighbors. You can't do that enough. That's just trying to earn God's favor. But instead, when you do read that Bible, I do want to say this, and you understand it fully, 
and you're humbled by it, especially when it tells you who you are and who God is. I should say we are. Don't mean to be pointing out there today. Um, you should be humbled. All right. Without grace, there's no faith. Without faith, we can't receive his word as true. Without being able to receive the word as true, we cannot be saved. In other words, we must be born again in order to understand by faith, therefore receiving the gospel truth that saves us. Being born again happens as a result of God's unmerited, undeserved favor being imparted to us supernaturally. It pulls us from the pit of our spiritual death when we were unable to respond spiritually to God's call to salvation. Did you hear that? We couldn't even respond had he not given us new life supernaturally. According to God's words in Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, and we're going to read part of that in just a few minutes, we neither deserve nor earn grace or faith. He just gave it. And I could go on all day about neither deserving nor earning faith. Uh, Sometimes I drift off and I think of the old Jeff Casanelli and I, I wonder, what am I doing here? The old man is almost unrecognizable from the new man. I saw somebody in the mall 11 years ago, and I'm not going to go deep into my testimony here today, so don't worry. Um, and uh, the, it was, it was the, uh, the cheerleader and the jock. And I'm not trying to offend anybody here because I, I love both. Um, Years ago, in the 1970s, if you had long hair and played an electric guitar and uh, did other, perchance, uh, ungodly things on a regular basis so that everybody knew about you, you were called the rocker or the stoner. Uh, gives you a little hint there. So the guy looks at me, and they're married now, the jock and the cheerleader. And this guy had been respectful to me even back in those days, even though I didn't deserve that respect. And he said, are you still alive? I'll never forget that. The girl just said, are you wearing a tube? Okay, well, we'll just leave that one alone. All right. Sorry, Daniel, that was my only stab at humor. He asked me if I was going to bring any humor today. All right. For those of you that don't know, Daniel's my son. All right. So, then God Almighty confirms the former statements. For we are his workmanship. We are a craft made by God. From the moment of our sinful birth until the moment of our created or newly created rebirth. He does both. He makes us sinful. He creates us that way, though he doesn't tempt us to sin. And there's no sin in God whatsoever. He makes us that way so that he can get the glory later on for the change. And now I'm lost. Unbelievable. (laughs) especially the next statement. I'm going to read the first one first. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is unbelievable to me. Created for good works, which God prepared beforehand. And I'm picturing God making this holy person's suit and dropping your body into it. That's the only thing I could come up with in my mind, but that seems to be what the scripture is saying, is that 
he even made your good works before you were born. That way, we can't boast. Unbelievable. But we must believe it because God says it. It says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is breathed out by God. And by Scripture, we mean the 66 letters that we know as the Holy Bible. That's what Scripture is. We get no credit at all because everything is made to come to pass in order to bring glory to God and not to us. And we who are in Christ reap the benefit, eternal salvation. Hallelujah. Glory to God alone. So my friends and brothers and sisters, our rebirth is a complete miracle. It's not natural. It's supernatural that God Almighty took dead souls that were scheduled for eternal destruction because of their rebellion against him and gave them new life. He raised the eternally dead to eternal life in Christ Jesus, a miracle. I think of the miracles in the Bible where saints and Christ himself rose people from the dead. You have Lazarus. You have Jesus raising the young girl to new life. You have, I was thinking of Paul preaching so long that a guy fell out the third story window. I still laugh about that. I try not to laugh about the fact that he died. And then Paul went down and laid his hands on him and prayed and brought him back to life. If you saw that happen, it's a miracle, right? But think of this. Your soul goes on after you die. So when God raises us from eternal death, to me, it's even more of a miracle. I don't see how we can not think of it that way. Just in case any of us should still think we have anything to boast about having obtained this new life in and of our own merit, let's take a look at who God is compared to who we are, who all of mankind is, every man, woman, and child, and what God would require of us to enter the kingdom of heaven on our own. Let's take a look at that. First of all, God is the maker of all things in heaven and on earth. Genesis chapter 1. I'm just going to read you a few things. In case you're an unbeliever and have never read the Bible, and you've heard about God creating the earth, you went, oh, okay, I sort of believe in God. Well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is Genesis 1. And the earth was without form and void. So what's form? It's a circle to us or a ball. And it was without that. It, It just wasn't there. It was just nothingness. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. I'm laughing because I'm just still amazed when I read these words. God called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. I'm not going to read all these chapters to you, so, so don't worry. You'll still get lunch today. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. This is the one that confuses me. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. So we have water, space, water. Okay. And God said, let, there, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. 
And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. I'm going to skip on over to, and God said, let there bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air. That's the long way around of telling you God said and it appeared. Obviously, another miracle. That's who God is. As the maker of the heavens and the earth, God has the right to do with them as he pleases. I'm going to refer to Romans 9, 20 to 21, where he says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Or in Isaiah 45, 9, which says, Woe to him who strives with him, the second him capitalized being God, who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or your work has no handles. Love that one. God is not a being of flesh. In 424, John bears witness to this. Jesus' own words. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So God doesn't have this flesh on him that we have that's so prone to sinfulness that we're talking about all day today. He's a being of spirit. God is holy, or in the words of the late R.C. Sproul, God is transcendently pure or without sin or fault. Psalm 5.4, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Psalm 11:7 For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds, and the upright shall behold his face. 1 John 1 verse 5 This is the message we have heard from him, capitalized H, and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And for those of you who aren't believers yet or haven't read the Bible yet, we use the term light to represent purity and sinlessness and darkness to represent evil and sinfulness. God is all-powerful, all-sustaining, merciful, wrathful, judgmental, and forgiving, completely sovereign. And I picked Psalm 33 out for you. Some of you who know me well know I, I go to Psalm 33 all the time. So for those of you who want to read along with me with your eyes, I'm, I'm going to Psalm 33, and I'm going to read the whole thing. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise for, befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make melody to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him with a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright. And all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. 
He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. He, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him. Because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us. Even as we hope in you. That last paragraph. Our soul waits for the Lord. Is referring to those who are now called born again. In Christ. Or the saints. Believers. Now let's take a look at who we are. Our condition before saving grace that we spoke of earlier in today's message is applied. The condition of every unsaved man, woman, and child. Please turn with me to Ephesians 2 if you haven't been there already. We're going to begin with verse 1 today. And I need to tell you that verses 1 through 7 are a full statement summarized in verses 8 through 10. So... The statement of today's text is a summary of verses 1 through 7. So Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So we were dead in our trespasses and sins. I'm going to break that down for you in a minute. But this is talking about us following Satan. That's who the prince of the power of the air is. The sons of disobedience are unbelievers. And that's who we all once were. I've heard uh, people say before, I've been a Christian all my life. Actually, I had a neighbor who used to say that. I've been a Christian all my life. That's, that's a false statement. Nobody is born a believer. <laughs> I almost said except Jesus, but then I'm, I'm thinking of God being in power here. And uh, so no man, woman, or child is born a believer. Even the most innocent of innocent of our children here today, and I can see it in some of their eyes, so sweet, and you've raised them with such a godly hand, but even they have a sense of waking up in the morning without the first thought being, I'm going to do everything today in order to glorify God and doing it perfectly. 
because of our sinful nature. That's who we are. It says we were all like that. This verse says you were spiritually dead because of your sinful nature, that nature that was imparted to you since the time of Adam. From the womb, you were sinful because of spiritual death. So picture a dead body. Sorry about the macabre. A dead body cannot walk, talk, speak, hear, breathe, and here's a big one, have a mind with a will. Mankind has learned how to keep the dead body breathing on a respirator. And the way we legally declare them dead now is when the brain wave ceases to function. We have, we have a brain that works because of God, the mind of God. And he gives us a will. So a dead body doesn't have a mind with a will. A spiritually dead person, you can compare to that. But a spiritually dead person is unable to do the things of God. He's unable to receive the things of God. We simply cannot respond to God in a way that saves us. Not on our own. Our spiritual eyes, ears, our walk. We talk about the walk that we have once we become a Christian, how it should be holy and pure, and we're fighting for the rest of our life to fight sin, and we want to have a spiritual walk. All of it, or acceptance of God's will. There's our mind and our will at work. We don't have a godly will. We don't have a will that automatically turns and accepts God or Christ. It's all cut off. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. In short, we cannot choose Jesus or God the Father until he makes us born again. That comes first. Then we get the grace. The grace comes, gives us faith. Faith allows us to receive the word as true, and we're saved. Here's some verses for you, John six forty four. This is Jesus talking. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Or John 6, 63 to 65, again, Jesus the speaker here. It is the Spirit who gives life. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, for those of you who don't know these terms. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me, and here's the big one, unless it is granted him by the Father. And there are many more verses that show our spiritually dead condition that I, I just can't go through them all today or we would be here through lunch. And, but if you want to come up after, I'm, I'm glad to... Uh, have you reach out or to one of the pastors. If those verses hurt you when you read them or if they provoke your flesh, welcome to the club. Welcome to preaching like this. It's not just veritas. I'm about to say something, and I don't mean to make it sound like we're, this, we're the greatest church on earth, but it was the same for all of us when we first heard this kind of preaching. We came from churches, some of us. Some of us came from churches that were 
not preaching the gospel in a way that wasn't watered down. We didn't get the whole truth. And many of us came here, and we, we had our, our flesh provoked, especially when Eric first started preaching. Um, I remember sitting in the pulpit, or excuse me, sitting in the, in the pews and kind of lurching forward a little bit, and my wife's grabbing onto my arm. And so <laughs> if you feel that way, please don't, don't leave. Stay and hear the preaching for the sake of God, for the sake of Christ. I promise you this. If you stay, you'll find a friend and a brother or sister for life. What does God require of us in order to enter the kingdom of heaven? John 3, 3. And Jesus, again, the speaker here, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And of course, he goes on in a few minutes to say, you must be born again of spirit and of the water. And that can get into a really deep sermon. So just trying to show you that God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, is who makes us born again. Those who have received Jesus Christ by grace, by grace through faith, the saved are born again and will be with God. And I mean in the afterlife. Some verses here. Romans 8, 10 to 11. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. And of course, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 18. And this is the one that a lot of regular readers know. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the term in Christ means born again. He is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of of reconciliation through Christ reconciled us to himself. There's, we're going back to one of my intro statements where it says that the grace comes from the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you were to die today, say of natural causes, some terrible disease, or even an unfortunate accident of some sort, God forbid, but if you were to die today, it would be his will, and someone who was in Christ walked up and laid hands on you and prayed, and you were raised up from the dead, like Paul and the guy who fell out the third-story window. You'd say it was a miracle, wouldn't you? Of course you would. How much more, then, should we say that it's certainly a miracle that God raises us up from our spiritual graves or our spiritual death that he just defined for you in Scripture and gives us new life in Christ? When we were spiritually dead, as God's word truly describes that we were, or that some still are, especially in knowing that after we die, we'll live again. To God, that's all one continuous life. To us, we have this bridge we've got to cross over, and we call it death, and we all fear that death. Well, what's the reason we fear that death? Well, most of us, that would be me, maybe fear the pain involved in death. 
but many who have grown older and wiser and have heard the word preached fear what's on the other side of that bridge we've got to cross. We fear it. Well, don't you want to know that you're going to have a life that's going to be lived in eternal, worshipful bliss? Some of you maybe don't like coming to church so much, and you don't think of worshiping God as what I want to look forward to if I inherit the kingdom of heaven. Let some of us know better. This life has given us a lot of bumps to go over. There's painful death of a loved one. There's injuries. There's diseases. I know many of you who suffer from chronic diseases, and you every day for you is a fight. And to see you, to see you come in worship is a blessing beyond measure. There's no way we can save ourselves. God's word declares it impossible. So feel the privilege. Find the joy in Christ by reading and meditating upon his word. I know you hear us. We just preach that to you all the time. Well, we do it for a reason. Because those of us who have turned to doing this, we found our life to be more abundant now. Even in the pain, even in the sickness, even in the sorrow, we can find joy in Christ. Paul talks about that when he says, The Christian must be sorrowful, but always rejoicing. So in conclusion, believers, be humbled. Don't put yourself above your neighbors because of your belief, whether newly founded or decades old. You didn't save yourself. You were a criminal in rebellion against God, and he commands you to go out and preach to the nations so that they might be saved. That's Matthew 28, 19. You can't do this without loving them. They're not going to listen to you. And you do have the responsibility to love them. Owe no man anything. Owe no, owe no man any debt except to love him. And then there's another one in Romans uh, 13, 8 to 10. I'm not quoting that today, but you can look that one up. And putting yourself in a lowly position. You can't really share the gospel unless they see you coming from a humble position. They'll just see it as arrogance and pride, and you're looking down your nose, and you're judging the world. Honor everyone else above yourself. 1 Peter 2, 16 to 17. I'm not going to quote that, but I wanted you to be able to look that up. So that everyone can see that you truly belong to Christ, and they can give the Father in heaven glory for your loving good deeds. Accompany these deeds as much as you can with the preaching of the gospel. There's a movement that says all you got to do really is just love. And they infer that that's the same as preaching the gospel. It's not. It's not. We, we, we mentioned it earlier today. You can't do enough good to be saved. And then they'll think, well, I want to have what he has. I want to be how he is. He's a good neighbor. He's a good friend. So I'm just going to do everything that he does, or even I'm going to do everything the Bible says to do, but they're not born again. To what end? The end is hell. That's to what end. And you're lulling them into a false sense of being saved. Only the Holy Spirit of God can come upon you and make you born again so you can be saved. For those of you who have been hanging around church for a lot of years, or even decades, and you've always professed that you're a Christian, but since you've been here, 
what you've thought of to be Christianity is in conflict with what you're taught here or other Bible-preaching churches that preach the Word of God in truth. What you're hearing now is not the same thing that you've heard. Maybe you've heard that all you have to do is be led in prayer. And all you have to do is say, after the pastor who leads you into it, that would be me. Jesus, please come into my heart. That's a beautiful prayer of confession. If you're already saved and you're saying that in a loving fashion to your Savior that morning because you woke up in sin that morning. You can be saved, still wake up sinful, do it every day. It's a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. However, it is not what saves you. Hear that now. If that really ruffles your flesh, you can come talk to me after or any one of our pastors. We've got Pastor Curtis, Pastor Eric, Pastor Greg, or any Bible-believing Christian. What saves you is grace through faith. Swallow your pride and come forth, will you? Let's talk about it. Maybe we just have a difference in syntax, the way we preach here, and you are saved, but you don't think we're preaching the same message that you've heard. Let's talk about that. Or maybe you're wandering around here for decades and you're not saved. I know that I wandered forever. I was wandering around my former church wondering because I started to believe, I started to read the Bible more and more and more and more. We got a lot more scripture in the sermons here than we did at the former churches. And we have men and women who stand behind the scripture and hold each other accountable for that life. So if, you, if you're that person and you're walking around here and going, I don't know, and you're hiding your head because of pride and you just don't know, come up, talk to one of us. We want you to have eternal life in Christ. Unbelievers, this is for you. Being a Christian or what we call a believer means that you are a person who's been saved by the grace of God. We talked about that. Supernatural power in the way of favor given to you in a way that he uses faith to open your ears. You hear the scripture preached and you're saved that instant. That's what being a Christian is. Oddly enough, it's not even being a good neighbor. Maybe you're a Christian and you haven't paid enough attention to the word and you're not a very good neighbor. That can happen. That's another sermon. But that's what being a Christian means. It's you're a person who's been saved by the grace of God through faith because of the works done by Jesus Christ, the Son of God alone. When the Father who is God put him on a cross to be executed in order to take your punishment for all the sin you've ever committed or ever will commit. You must understand that neither you nor any person but Jesus had anything to do with your actual salvation, that crossover from spiritual death to spiritual life. Even though God the Father uses many people to direct you to Christ. My own wife directed me to Christ. Former pastor said that she was deluded to have married me. 
if you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your Savior, or you don't even know what that means, but you have keen interest after the preaching you've heard here on any given week, come forward and talk to one of his pastors, will you? We'll, we'll be glad to sit and answer your questions or ask each other if we can't answer the questions. And we're so grateful you're here if you do not know the Christ because you are here because of God's mercy and grace who used a circumstance or a person to get you here today on purpose. God is completely sovereign. And if you're not used to that kind of talk, join the club. None of us will ever be used to the fact that God is completely sovereign. His ways are not our ways, and our ways are not his. Let's pray together and prepare our hearts for a time of communion amongst the saints and with our Lord at the table. Father, you are eternally sovereign and full of grace. You give professional grace to the common man and saving grace to those whom you will call sons and daughters. We beg for your saving grace for all who are here today. We pray for a better understanding of your word through the faith that you give us as believers and for salvation by grace through the faith that you might give to unbelievers today. And we thank you, Lord, for every mercy that you pour out upon us. Let it not be that the message given today fell upon deaf ears, but that a crop of righteousness was sown amongst believers and unbelievers alike by your holy, righteous, eye-opening, life-giving grace. As we come to your table now to commune with you in accordance with your son's wishes and direction, forgive us our sinfulness and help us to remember that the items in this meal represent the body of your only begotten son that was given up and the blood that was shed for us, that we might be forgiven for all of our sins and iniquities. It is in the holy name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.